If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to ask Thad to read uh, the passage that we're looking at today. This is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less of a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the feet to the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Thanks, Thad. Let's, let's pray. Father, you, when you put together your scriptures for us, you made it a book that was sufficient for us to know you uh, in a saving way, you gave it to us in a way that would be sufficient for us to know how you're calling us to live. And uh, so it isn't a surprise that on every page of your word, there are, you are addressing um, parts of us that are broken. You're addressing parts of us that, that need to hear truth continually. You're addressing parts of us that uh, struggle to understand who we are. Uh, and where we find our identity, and, uh, and uh, Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word to speak to us in that way. Lord, as we talk today about spiritual gifts, as we talk today about the, uh, the gifts that you give the body and the way that you mean those gifts to function together, and as we consider perhaps some of our own psychoses when it comes to these gifts, Lord, I pray that you would give us a, uh, a humility of spirit today to, to want to hear uh, what it is that you're showing us and, and telling us through your word. Uh, Father, thank you for your, the promise of your presence here. Thank you that you are with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promise in this scripture that you are the head of the body, that that's not the responsibility of anyone here, but that you are the head of your church. Uh, Lord, thank you for, uh, for calling us uh, your body, for, for calling us into this relationship with one another. We give you thanks. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you all. I wasn't here last week, and uh, 
I think it's fun when, when the Lord builds a relationship in such a way to where when I'm out of town for a week, I miss you. Uh, so it's good to see you. That was sappy, but that's the way it is. So, uh, you know that David Letterman show? The one where, you know, uh, he has that segment called Stupid Human Tricks. I didn't do this at downtown, and I'll, I'll give it like three seconds here. I was at downtown this morning. Does anybody have a stupid human trick they want to show us? <laughs> Going once. This is your chance. Go. You do? Yes! Randall, good game, ladies and gentlemen. Do, do you need anything? Um, I need an imaginary string. You need an imaginary string. Well, I happen to have one right here. All right. I, I need a little bit longer one. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Here you go. Don't ask me again. <laughs> awesome. Wow. <laughs> that was fantastic in every way. For those who are listening to the podcast, I'm not telling you. That was awesome. Randall has a gift. And you have gifts. That, see the segue, what we just did there? We just tied the whole thing in together. We're talking about gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts, gifts that the Lord gives us. And, and Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is full of new Christians. We've talked about this in this study that these are all first generation Christians. How could they not be? Uh, they're the first people to hear the gospel in Corinth and to become a church there. And they're learning how to do life together. And uh, this letter, as we've been unpacking it, has been Paul addressing one problem after another after another in their unity or their disunity, really, is maybe a better way to say it. That he's, he's really kind of getting to the heart of, you, you guys, here's what it looks like for you to love each other. Here's what it looks like for you to be spiritually mature. And now he's moving into the area where he's talking about gifts and spiritual gifts and abilities. And what's happening in that church and in every church since is that people are trying to figure out where they rank with everybody else according to what makes them special, what gifts they have, what abilities they have, what talents. And so I want to ask you a question. And the question is, when you think about your gifts, the gifts that the Lord has given you, what do you need them to do for you? What do you need your gifts to do for you? What do you need to get? from them? That maybe isn't a question that you can answer right away thinking about it in this context, but I bet that when you don't get from your gifts what you need from them, you're very aware, you're very aware that something is not right. How do our gifts that we all have that are different, how are they f supposed to function? There's really one of two ways that we can use our gifts and ways that we can regard our gifts and get our minds around our gifts. The first is in an outward way, that I look at the gifts that I've got and I say, okay, these are things that the Lord has given me for the glory of his name and for the service of others. So I want to use the gifts that God has given me to bless and to serve. That's one way. The other way, though, that we can regard our gifts is in a very 
inward way. That my gifts tell the story of who I am. That my gifts tell you what I'm worth, where my value lies, why I'm irreplaceable in this context, that, that I need to use my gifts for my own glory and for building up and establishing my own sense of identity. When we start talking about talents and gifts and comparing ourselves to one another and how we think about those things, we're wandering into some pretty sacred ground where we get kind of like, you know, mother bears protecting cubs. We, we draw lines and say, in this conversation, you can come to this point with me, but you can't come any further here without, without me getting upset or defensive or needing to prove myself or, or humble brag or, or whatever it is, you know, that, 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 that I need you to know why I'm special and I'm counting on my gifts to communicate that to you. It's hard because you want to be special, don't you? You want to be special. I want to be special. I want you to like me. And it's not just that I want you to like me, but I want you to like me for certain things. And you're that way too. All of us in this room, we have this in us. It's our own little crazy train that we ride. It's our own psychosis. These, these things that I have that I say, if only this could deliver for me in this particular way, my soul will be satisfied. And what Paul is contending with contending about for spiritually immature people is he's saying it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The satisfaction of your soul is not going to be found in how you compare to the people around you because God's love for you, his identity that he gives you is not one that is contingent upon where you rank according to the person next to you. Does that make sense? This is a really, in, in a lot of ways, a very simple passage of scripture that we're talking about and yet at the same time it's a very charged passage of scripture it's 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 uh it, it treads in some sacred places paul is using this illustration of a body that that, that the church is a body that we have hands and feet and eyes and ears and that we we're one together and christ is the head another way we might illustrate this as the image of an orchestra Think about an orchestra. Have you ever been to see a symphony? Been in the room? Which is very different than listening to a recording of a symphony. Being in the room, there's something warm and wooden about the sound of an orchestra that you can't hear on a recording. If that makes any sense at all, I don't know if it does or not. If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If, if you don't, you're, what, what does wooden sound like? <laughs> But that's, it's, it's this warmth, it's this richness of the sounds all marrying together in this, in this way. And this is what the church is like. We're like a, a symphony, we're like an orchestra. So you've got this orchestra pit, and we're all in it. And we're all gifted, by the way. That's what Paul is saying is, it's not that God might give you gifts. It's that you have gifts. You have God-given gifts, things that he gave you. You have, you, you have them. And so you have a place in the orchestra pit, and we're all down there. Some of these gifts are meant for soloing, you know? They're just, they're meant for being kind of the thing that, that jumps out, and people hear it, and it ties the thing together with this line of melody. And some of us, not so much. Some of us uh, are really meant to maybe anchor down the time of the thing, the rhythm. Or some of us are maybe meant to build in a counter melody, 
to bring the melody even forward some more, to give it that, that texture. But everybody in the pit has a part to play, and all the parts are needed for the symphony to be complete. And without them, the symphony is incomplete. Let's go with that illustration because Paul is saying that like a body or like an orchestra, we, we need each other. And we're different from each other. These are the two things in tension that he wants us to understand in our quest for spiritual maturity, growing in Christ. We need each other. And we differ from each other. And that's the way that he made us. When Thad read this, this passage, how did you feel about what Paul was getting at? Maybe, maybe it, it just didn't evoke anything in you, but, but I want you to consider that he's saying something that you, you should really chew on and I should really chew on. And, and that's, on the one hand, he's saying that all of us have gifts that are important. All of us have gifts that are important to the body, gifts that people around us need. But the other thing that he's saying in the same breath is none of us are so gifted that we don't need the gifts of others. What Paul is saying to us, to the Corinthians, to us, is guess what? You lack. You don't lack what you need for a relationship with God. You don't lack what you need for salvation in Christ but as a person on this journey of life, you were made to need the gifts of others. We live in a world that prizes independence. It says being independent is self-actualization. That if only I could get to a point where I'm independent, then I will have life figured out. Do you know, though, that the overwhelming story of Scripture says that's a lie? You weren't meant to be independent. You weren't. You were meant to be dependent. You were meant to be somebody who needs other people. This is how God made us. Paul is talking about these gifts, and he's very unflinchingly saying these are God-given gifts, which means if they're God-given gifts, the gifts that you have, it also means that the gifts that you don't have are God-withheld gifts. And we can be like, I, there are times in my life, not many, there have been times in my life where I have wished that I was good with numbers. Few and far between, but man, there have been times when I thought it would be really handy right now. One time is when I'm preaching and I attempt to do a math problem, like add up, you know, some numbers, which happens from time to time, and I like never get it right. And it's just addition, simple addition. But I, I, I need a paper and a pencil and an eraser um, to do that. But God gives certain people certain gifts. And gifts that we thrive in and we cultivate and we develop. And some of us even become soloists in these gifts and they're important and they're beautiful. And then to others, he says, this is not your gift. And it's a mercy from the Lord to say, I'm going to require you to need others for help in that. It's good for you. It's good for you to need the body. Because when we don't, when we think we have everything that we need, we think we're the head. And Paul is saying, as a Christian, you're not. You're a part of a body. 
and Christ is the head of that body. So what he's saying is he's saying, look, on the one hand, you are not all you need. You might think you are, I'm all I need, but you're not. But then on the other hand, neither are you all you've got. So you're not all you need, but you're also not all you've got. He's given you each other. He's given us each other. It's a beautiful picture of the dependence that he calls us to in relationship with him. That he is sufficient, that he gives us what we need, but not in a vacuum where I have it all, all by myself all the time. We need each other. And it's a mercy that he does this. Some of the gifts that we have, they're, they're soloing gifts. They're gifts that are meant to be out in front, to be recognized, to be something you point at and you say, that lady is so good at this, or that guy is so prolific at this, and it's, and it's such a help to the body. It's such a beauty. So much storytellers. I mean, Midtown, I've never been at a place where there's been this collection of just incredible world-class gifts. And we have that here. We have world-class scientists. We have world-class musicians. We have world-class teachers and engineers and counselors and painters and designers and chefs. These gifts that are represented in the church and you just think, it's awesome to benefit from these things. It's a beautiful thing. It's a grace from the Lord. He's been good to us. We should praise him for that. But those aren't the only gifts that exist, right? Paul had that, you, 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 you saw it go by. It's a weird part of this passage where he's carrying the illustration of the body and the parts out even further, right? And he's saying, you know, that there are some parts of the body that are uh, meant to be on display and honorable and, and they're on display all the time. And there are other parts of the body that he says are unpresentable and they're treated with a greater modesty. Nowhere in there is he saying there are parts of the body that are dishonorable. But what he is saying is that if we're carrying this analogy of a body, that there are parts that are not necessarily meant to be on display all the time and yet at the same time, they're important. You and I have gifts that the world rarely sees. Go back to the analogy of an orchestra. There are members of an orchestra that never solo. In fact, you can watch an orchestra perform and you can't hear them distinctly. Like the low end, the bass. They're there, but they're... Sorry. Fourth grade Russ just got distracted by a fire truck outside the window. <laughs> Can I get this back? <sighs> you know, but there's, okay, so there's the bass in the orchestra, and you see them playing, and you know that what they're doing is important. They're anchoring down the low end, but their function most of the time is not to be heard as a solo instrument, but is to be there to add that low end in that context. And that's important that some of us have gifts like this, all of us actually have gifts like this, that are not necessarily soloing gifts, but they're still important, and they still add to the overall picture of who we are. Take, for example, some of you are very emotionally stable. You're steady. You're unflappable, you know? 
And you're able to just do that. You're able to kind of live in this place. The, 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 that fire truck could be for this building right now and it would be burning down and you would be calm. You would be telling people, everybody, if we could just head out toward the doors. You know, but you have that. And so emotionally off the road people love you because you bring a, a kind of a restraint and a perspective and a sobriety and even a, a kind of a, a, a license and a liberty and a freedom and an encouragement for kind of the emotionally charged people to, to function in, in a healthy way and they love you for that and it's an important gift or the gift of empathy you know that you're an understanding person nobody puts you on stage and says talk about your empathy tell everybody about how awesome you are at empathy but yet when, they're, when their heart is broken and they're needing somebody to listen they go to you because they know that you're a person who will listen that you have this empathy or kindness or discernment the list could go on and on but the point is is that you and I we all have gifts some of which are, are, are first chair violin and you're meant to hear it and others are somewhere in there in those, you know, back in the background, barely not even in the light. They're adding to the texture, but you can't distinctly distinguish them from the rest of what's going on. It's important for us to understand that all this God gives us. And he gives us these things in order that we might glorify his name and bless one another. Not that we would use our gifts to establish ourselves as being more or less valuable than anyone else around us. Paul's contending for us on that. Why? What's at stake? The answer is in the last verse that we read, but what's at stake is truth and beauty. That as a body functioning together as one, there's an incredible capacity for beauty and truth to be communicated. Like a symphony, an orchestra, Working together as one, there's an incredible capacity that we have to give the world something beautiful. But if all we are is an orchestra pit full of people trying to solo over one another, here's what's going to happen. I will hear myself. I will hear myself over you. I'll be in my own little world and I'll hear myself. And odds are I'll even like what I hear. But the watching world, seeing that going on, is just noise which is what chapter 13 is about. If all you are is, is, is just somebody who has incredible gifts but no love for one another, you're just making noise. That's what you're doing. So Paul is calling us, saying truth and beauty is on the line. How does he say it? He says it this way. He says in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And he's saying that's beautiful. And he's saying if one member is honored, all rejoice together, and that's beautiful. There's this fine line between beauty and ugliness, and it has to do with who we believe is the head over us. If I believe it's me, then I'm going to use my gifts in a way that function toward ugliness. I may not think so, because I'm bringing glory to myself, but I'm not bringing glory to God, and I'm not honoring you. Let me talk about this. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. Here's when that gets ugly. If I'm the head of my own gifts, if I'm the most important person in the room and I'm suffering, and you come alongside me and say, hey, I'm really sorry to hear that you're suffering, I don't receive it. And the reason I don't is because I'm suspicious of your motives. 
I think, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm suffering through. You don't know what's going on inside of me. Are you just boasting? Are you showing off that you have your stuff together while my world is crumbling? Now, I know that's extreme, but think of the grades of this in our lives. That somebody comes along and says, I'm sorry. And our initial reaction is, you, you can't enter into this with me. It's mine. It's my suffering. Thanks for your words, but this is my suffering. I think what's even uglier than that, though, is when one member is honored and there is no capacity for others rejoicing in that. Let me give you an example. If I'm honored or if I do something right, hit a home run, somebody congratulates me, can I receive their joy and couple it with my own? Say you're a musician and you do a concert and somebody comes to you after the concert and they say this, that was really powerful. I really, really needed to hear that. Thank you so much for that. If Christ is the head over your gifts, you hear that in the context of the Lord met them. If he's not and you're the head over your own gifts, you hear that as, well, they're thanking me. But here's what you're going to do. They're going to say, thank you so much. I so needed to hear that. That really, really helped me. And you're going to think, you are clinical. You're crazy. And here's why you're crazy. I forgot the lyrics five times. I flubbed that key change. And don't even get me started on how dead the room was tonight. It was terrible. It was terrible from beginning to end. You know, you don't have a, you don't have a place for somebody to say, thank you for that. Thank you for that to understand that what they're saying to you is actually something that they're directing to the Lord. You're acting like the head of your own gifts. You have gifts. You have soloing gifts. You have modesty gifts. You have gifts that are meant to be out in front and heard. You have gifts that most people may never even identify, but are there, and they're a part of how God wired you. So what would it be like? Imagine. Imagine what it would be like to use these gifts in a way to where it's for the glory of Christ and the blessing of others. Imagine using your gifts for the reason God gave them to you. Imagine if at the heart of your giftings lay a desire to glorify God and care for others. Imagine that you understood with spiritual maturity that some of your greatest gifts might in fact be modest gifts, gifts never really meant to draw attention to you by being front and center, but rather by blending into an orchestra of beauty and truth. Imagine you loved those gifts too. Imagine that you understand with the same spiritual maturity that though some of your greatest gifts are meant to sound like soloists in a symphony, you know that without the rest of the body of musicians, you can't resonate like you hope to. Imagine being so secure in your role that you can play your part and still hear the rest of the symphony around you and love it as though you are part of the audience. Imagine that the driving factor behind the use of your gifts wasn't to hear how well you did, but to hear how beautiful the symphony was. And nothing gave you greater joy than to know those listening were moved by the author's composition. And that you, the musician, were so faithful to the greater peace that you didn't get in the way of people hearing it. What we're talking about 
is worship. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about worship. Imagine that your gifts were for the glory of Christ and for the blessing of others. And imagine that it brings you joy to know that you are not all you need, but neither are you all you have. We're going to watch a video that is going to illustrate this. It's a time, and I want it to be a contemplative time for us. Just let it wash over you as you watch what's happening on the screen and as you hear what's happening. This is uh, from the, I think the Icelandic band, Sigaros, um, recording in the Abbey Road Studios. And uh, I just want you to watch this happen. And what, the only direction I really want to give you as you contemplate what you're seeing is to find yourself in as many places as you can as it happens, okay? Okay. 